Hello and welcome into Empire Sports Talk. This is Max O'Neill. We're back and we're with special co-host Josh Schwab, who is recording this podcast from his dorm room or his, excuse me, his room uh, off the campus of Bradley University in Peoria, Illinois. Welcome back to the show, Joshua. Max, thank you for having me. You caught me in about the uh, the only window of time that is available over the next three or four days because we are in absolute motion here at Bradley between, well, we'd be perfectly busy without classes starting tomorrow. So that's just an extra nail in the in the side. But we are in motion. What's your first class tomorrow? Uh, tomorrow is the first day of classes, but I don't have class tomorrow. So I've got two online classes and then three classes on uh, Tuesday, Thursday. So my first class on Tuesday, on Thursday, I'm not sure which one it is. I'll figure that one out. They're all comm classes. They're all back to back and they're all in the same building. So I'll figure out which one probably the Thursday morning. Okay. <laughs> well, good luck with that. Thank uh, you. And so we're just going to jump right into it here with the New York Yankees. We, Joe and I uh, have been talking for a lot of time on this podcast with about how bad the team is. And you know what, Trami, it feels great to finally talk about them winning games on this podcast. Yeah, and, they've been on a tear, right? I mean, it's just, it's wild. They're on a 10 game winning streak right now. It's unbelievable. Going into last night's game, ESPN stats and info tweeted this out yesterday. It is the third time in major league history that two teams have met holding winning streaks of at, of, of at least nine games, nine or more. And it was the first time since 1901 that that such uh, occurrence had taken place. So it was really, a, it was quite the matchup last night between the Yankees and the Braves. I'm sure that there's been, there have been other circumstances where multiple teams have held nine, nine or more game winning streaks at the same time. But for those two teams to be playing each other, Hadn't happened since 1901 and only twice before that. So a really historic matchup between those two teams. And it, it was a great game last night to get the Yankees to 10 in a row. And they have not won 11 in a row since 1985. So that's a big one coming up tonight uh, in Atlanta. So I'm not confident about that game tonight. I mean, we'll get into it in a second. We're going to talk about the game last night and the win streak as a whole right now. You know, that was a huge win last night for the team. Uh, of course, you know, I'm happy they won, you know, and I want them to keep it going. You know, I think the pitching is finally, you know, pitching well. Andrew Heaney pitched well his last time out for the first time for his first time as a Yankee, you know, um, and the, you know, the bullpen is finally pitching well. Chapman is okay. Britain is hurt. Britain was kind of terrible. Um, you know, he gave up that save when you were here in New York City in the Field of Dreams game. Um, you know, he's been kind of rough, um, but he's hurt. Again. He's been rough, but they found some security. I mean, Wandy Peralta has been really good. Loisic has been much better. I mean, they found that kind of 7-8, or excuse me, 6-7-8 when the starters can't go 6 security that they were really lacking all year. Uh, the back end, you know, the, the farthest back end is still a little bit of an issue, but they've been great. And Kluber's coming back. You know, I, I forgot we had Corey Kluber. I've been, as you know, 
working like a maniac since the start of June and didn't really take a break coming before coming back to Bradley. So I forgot we had Corey Kluber. Like I just hadn't seen him pitch in a while. And there's another, you know, possible rehab update on Severino. I know he had his assignment pushed back, but it's all coming together at the right time. And Duhar and Urshela looking like their names are starting to pop back up in the in the Twitter sphere and all. They're coming back on rehab. Boone is talking about them a little bit. So everyone's coming back at the right time. And it's it's really cool to see it all kind of taking shape, especially this 11, this 10-game winning streak and best record in major leagues since July 4th without – without their best players, really. I mean, Rugnet Odor is not going to be a regular player come the playoff time if everyone is healthy. And he's been an integral part of this. Same thing with Velasquez. So, Yeah, Andrew Velasquez, you know, for his 10 minutes on the New York Yankees, he's really making the most of it, you know. Because, I mean, let's be honest, he's been playing well. But, you know, he doesn't have a spot once, you know, Urshela comes back and – you know, once people... No, like, he doesn't have the spot, but it was, it's, this has been the Yankee way for the last few years. I mean, perfect example Perfect example is Bradley baseball alum, Mike Talkman, you know, playing... You know, he when he was on the team, he was a next man up for about just about everyone. He was starting left, then he was starting center, then he was starting right. And he's really been... Uh, he was, when he was a Yankee, next man up. And same thing with this team. Velasquez has been really good as a next man up. Odor, really good as a next man up. We can talk about reigning American League player of the week, Luke Voigt stepping up after getting his replacement traded to the team. So it's been uh, a lot of just different guys producing. And that's a credit to Aaron Boone. You know, I think you know that I've been a strong critic of Boone since he got the job. I never thought Girardi should have been fired. And Boone's done some great things this season. I mean, this is this is high-quality managing from Aaron Boone to get this team in a position where they are. Of course, you have the trades for Rizzo and Gallo, but – there's a lot going on beneath that that needs to be taken care of. And Boone has really done an exceptional job with, excuse me, with that this season. Yeah. I mean, you know, yes, they have played. I give Boone a ton of credit. I give Cashman credit, you know, two people of which I've been, you know, very strong critics this season, especially, you know, the trade for Rizzo, you know, inspired the team. Um, Gallo has been struggling a little bit, but, you know, that was a okay trade. We'll see how, you know, it turns out. I mean, I feel like you can't really judge trades fully until three or four years after they happen. Once the prospects, you know, develop, um, of course. But, but you look at also, I mean, you talk about Rizzo and Gallo and Cashman, you know, that's a, that trade was a testament to Brian Cashman because the Yankees aren't paying a cent for Rizzo or Gallo. Yeah. I understand they're both rentals, but through the acquisition of higher-end prospects year over year, we were able to give up a slightly higher prospect to the Cubs and not have to pay Rizzo's salary for the rest of the year. And the same thing to the Rangers. We gave them a little bit higher prospects than maybe Gallo garnered, and they, in turn, aren't, we're not paying. So it's cash, that's 100% cash manipulating the market, getting guys in the system who are, the Yankees are developing at a lower level and trading them for big league talent. It's those two trades really exhibited what Cashman has done over the last few years in a time where a lot of the city has been pretty critical of him and you and me included. Yes. Um, and, you know, I think the trade for Rizzo is especially a brilliant move, you know, that has put them on this 10 game winning streak for a little bit because I didn't see, you know, a single story or a single rumor from any of, you know, the Yankees reporters that I follow, you know, any of the big names, 
that he was going to be a Yankee. I saw the Red Sox. I saw, you know, teams like that that Rizzo was going to, you know, go to. And then, boom, all of a sudden the reports started coming out that Rizzo was going to be a Yankee. Well, you know, he, when Rizzo talked about that with uh, Ken Rosenthal, I believe I saw on Fox, might have been this weekend that they aired. I'm sure they recorded it prior, but they aired a clip where he talked to Rosenthal about how he felt when he became a Yankee. And he said, you know, it was a little bit shocking. He's like, hadn't heard that name before. Heard the Red Sox, heard all these other teams. But Cashman came in there at the last minute. They made the decision. And he really was not talked about as a Yankee. Uh, obviously, a former Red Sox Rizzo at a, at a younger age. But he'd, been taught, he'd, he'd heard that and compartmentalized that. And all of a sudden, he was a Yankee. So, again, a testament to Cashman and the things that he's done in prior years to set themselves up for that trade and potentially, you know, later down the line this postseason because of that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the 10-game – how long do you think the 10-game winning streak will go on? Do you think it will – you know, do you think it will end tonight with Yankee killer Charlie Morton on the mound? Or do you think they well, – You talk about Yankee killer Charlie Morton, but Gardner, birthday boy Brett Gardner, also the, the greatest Yankee to ever live, in my in my opinion, oh, okay. has That's a 9-9-8 – a 9-9-8 uh, career OBP against Mr. Morton. But I think if it gets through tonight, you know, I don't see why they can't get through Oakland. Um, it'll probably, you know, if it really had to be realistic, it would probably end at some point during the Oakland series. It seems logical. There's four games on the road in Oakland on the West Coast. Um, it'll probably end there. But then after Oakland, you get two games, excuse me, three games versus Anaheim, three versus Baltimore. There's no reason they can't take all six of those based on the way they've been playing and the way they've been pitching, especially. I if it gets through Oakland, the Orioles. They, I mean, right. If, if they get through, if, if, the they, if they're able to sweep Oakland on the road, now I don't think that will happen. To answer your question, it will probably end during the Oakland series. But if they get through Oakland, that'd be you know tonight would be 11, 15. You can get this up to twenty one, I think, pretty pretty quickly. Then you get the Blue Jays, and you know, they have to lose eventually, right? So <laughs> they, the they play the next twenty days, right? And the Mets, we'll, we'll talk about them later kind of reeling right now but if in all practicality the they can't win forever they'll probably end at some point during the Oakland series the Mets are the Mets what You'll do you think the Mets I could what do you think what is this streak I think it ends tonight I unfortunately think that Charlie Morton the Yankee killer ends the streak tonight I mean, it would not be out of their own possibility the Braves are a really really good team they've been playing so well as of late, obviously they are nine and one in their last ten, right? So yeah. they are a really good team, and they they came on a little bit later than the Yankees did. But at home there at Truist Park, I don't see. I mean, it's it would very be nice very possible. Park, by the way, what was that? It's a very nice park, Truist. I have not been there as a as someone who lived in Atlanta for a year. Can't say I've ever been there, but I'll take your word for it. I went with a uh, mutual friend of ours uh, when he was at Clemson University. Gotcha. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think, you know, I think it could end tonight, as I said, and now we're going to move on to the Metropolitans, the New York Mets, um, who, despite, you know, the off season edition of Francisco Lindor and, you know, still of course, having Pete Alonzo and Jacob deGrom, um, who is, you know, 
maybe the best pitcher in baseball and, you know, getting to Juan Walker, and Marcus Stroman, and Rich Hill, et cetera, um, is still, you know, struggling this season, um, which is, you know, shocking. I would have thought 100% that this team would be doing better with, you know, an infield of Pia Alonso, Javi Baez, you know, um, and you get, you know, Lindor in there who's hurt right now, I believe. And, you know, at third, you play like Brandon Drury, who's used to be a Yankee, or Jeff McNeil. I would have thought that that team would be doing better than sitting here right now at 61 and 63, you know, two and eight in their last 10 games. I was going to bring that up. Two and eight in their last 10. They have not looked good, and they didn't get any favors by playing the Giants and the Dodgers over the last 10 days or so, but they've really struggled. And I think it's kind of a surprise to us this year, right? Because they've looked so good at times. The Grom has looked like the Grom, but, and obviously, like you said, Lindor, you know, hitting, he's, he's hitting 228 this year with 11 homers and 36 RBI. I know he's hitting towards the top of the order, but you can't have 36 RBI uh, for what he's being paid. And they looked really good at the start of the year, but no one expected this out of them. They were not, um, they were not supposed to be this good to start the year and they're showing their true colors. They don't really have the pitching depth. They certainly don't have the offense to even support Jacob DeGrom. So I'm not really too shocked about it. I don't see any surprises here. Of course, it's, it's quite the fall from grace. Think about their two and eight in their last 10. They're only two games under. So they were doing pretty well. They were, you know, 10, 15 games over 500 at one point, but they're seven games back of Atlanta and they're still pretty far back of the Phillies in the in the east or four and a half back from the Phillies. So and in the they're not in a good card, spot. They are uh they're sitting seven games back of the wild card. So they're gonna have to make a run. You know can I just point out very quickly as I'm looking at the wild card standings in the National League right now, if you had told me that the wild card playoff game, that the wild card game could potentially be contested between the Los Angeles Dodgers and the San Diego Padres. I would have asked you what planet you're from. I don't know about that. I don't think that's that wild. It was pretty well understood at the start of the season that there could be three teams coming out of the, the West. And with I the addition of Giants, Giants we're there's, the West. there's no way San Francisco Giants were going to come out of the West. They were they were you know highly favored to to compete for that wild card at the start of the year. And they made the big addition of Chris Bryant. I don't think it's as shocking as you do. I mean, they they've made some proper additions, and they were right there with the, the two of those teams uh, before the deadline. I mean, the fact that the Padres are only ten games up, or excuse me, are only ten games above five hundred and thirteen games back of the Giants with best record in baseball right now is you know crazy. I mean, it I staggering how how the difference in that division is right. It is there are three teams coming out of that division. And like you said, the Padres are 13 games back and they are the second wild card. I thought, you know, they're not the second wild card right now. The uh, Reds are. Oh, excuse me. Sorry. So they're right there. They're right there competing for the second wild card. And they are one game back in the second spot. And they are 13 games back in their division. That is really what's staggering about that. And did you see that they fired their pitching coach the other day? Yeah, they fired their pitching coach who has a history of turning – Promising pitchers into nobodies. So I like the move for the Padres a lot. Larry Rothschild. Larry Rothschild, former Yankee pitching coach, dismissed from his duties in San Diego recently. Um, 
But getting back to the Mets, I'm sorry. <laughs> not a not a not a great but is a great move for the Padres. <laughs> getting back to the Mets, you know, Pete Alonso is playing well and really, you know, kind of almost you know, not too many people outside of him offensively for the Mets, you know, are playing well. I mean, you know, you have, you know, the the highest rate, the highest batting average on the team outside of, you know, pitchers who get, you know, three at-bats, you know, one at-bat a game, two at-bats a game, depending on how they're pitching. You know, Brandon Jury's hitting 301, and he's the only hitter who's hitting above 300 for the Mets. You know, everybody else is hitting in the 200s. Pete Alonzo leads the team in batting average at 258 because he's, you know, a qualified hitter with 415 at-bats, whereas uh, J.D. whereas JD Davis only has 143 ABs. Um, it's just not a good offensive situation right now. I mean, like I said before, Lindor hitting 228. It, they're just not hitting. I mean, there's not really a ton to talk about on this. They're not hitting. They haven't been able to pitch all year, right? They can't get Jacob DeGrom run support, as I said before. There's almost just not a lot to talk about. They're not they're not hitting and they're not pitching. They're not winning games. That's really what it comes down to. And that starts at the top and works its way down. But, you know, I think it's um, it's definitely, um, you know, bad uh, when you have, you know, when Jacob DeGrom can't get healthy. I mean, DeGrom has a 1.0 ERA. That's ridiculous. He's, you know, the best pitcher. I don't have any I, I shame in saying that Jacob DeGrom is the best pitcher in baseball. No, you'd be, you'd be no. an idiot or you otherwise. He, he is the best pitcher in baseball, but he can't stay healthy. So what's that worth? You know, as I said, you know, as I continue to say on this podcast, you know, and outside of this podcast all the time, he is, you know, Far, he has Jacob DeGrom syndrome, which is, you know, he's somebody that is too good for his team. You know, if if you put Jacob DeGrom right now on the, you know, let's say on the Houston Astros or the, you know, the San Francisco Giants or the L.A. Dodgers or the, you know, San Diego Padres or something like that, they win 115 games easy. And he's a 20-game winner every single year. Yep. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, 20-game winner every year. 100% agree, but it's just they can't keep him healthy. And I don't know if that's a DeGrom problem or a Mets problem, but it's got to be fixed. It's got to be fixed fast. And, you know, Stephen Tarpley, the former Yankees pitcher, pitches for the Mets now, and he's got an infinite ERA. Well, a lot of pitchers in Major League Baseball have an infinite ERA right now. He's – pitched less than an inning. Um, he didn't get collected out in his one appearance. One hit, two runs, two walks. Quite a high ERA. Um, so you can't get higher than that. Um, yeah. And transitioning now very quickly over here, Joshua, to... You don't have to call me Joshua. You don't have to be so formal. <laughs> to the team that has the worst record in baseball, 41 and a half games back of the San Francisco Giants for the best record in baseball. So they would have to go on quite the winning streak 
to get back into playoff contention. No, they have no hope in the playoff contention. They have more than eight people lost. They have a zero percent chance. They are one of. They are mathematically eliminated. There's not a lot of teams that are mathematically eliminated. I think it's what you're going for. They are one of 11 teams in Major League Baseball right now that has a 0% chance of making the playoffs. 12 teams, excuse me. Um, you know, they are sitting right now at 38-85 with an, and currently sitting on an 18-game losing streak. Yeah, they are just not I – mean, I saw a stat about the Orioles that they are, uh, I think, the first team in history or something like that um, to have two losing streaks in the same season of um, two losing streaks in the same season of 14 games or more. It's not good. Can't win like that, Max. Yes, that is a not a conducive model to winning. No. And let's see, you know, the Orioles schedule coming up. Let's see when the hell they'll win. I mean, obviously, any team can win on any day. That's the beauty of sports. But they got the they had a three game set against the Angels. I could very easily see them getting swept. Those are two bad teams, the Angels. Obviously, aren't you know they're a lot, they're a lot better than the Orioles, but they're not great. There's almost I feel like hypothesizing when they're going to win is almost a waste of time. Every team they're going to play is substantially better than them. You just got to get a pitcher who has himself a day, and then that's really it. <laughs> a couple of runs go on the board, and there's no there's no rhyme, there's not going to be a rhyme or reason as to why they win their their next game. The last but, time they won was back on. Uh, August 2nd, they beat the Yankees 7-1 at the stadium. The Yankees were 56-49 and at that point. The Orioles were 38-67. If you think about how the tide has turned, the Orioles won that game. The Yankees were seven games over and still probably seven back of the Rays. Now they're four back of the Rays. They're into the hosting wildcard position, and the Orioles haven't won since. Yeah, let's see. Let's go on the MLB.com standings real quick and check very quickly. You can do on MLB the dates. August 2nd. On August 2nd, the Yankees were, as I said, 56 and 49, seven games back of the Rays for first place in the division, and three back of the Red Sox in the wild card. Um, you know, and not in playoff position. Yes. Now and, we're talking about can they win the division? <laughs> and now it's August 24th. The Higgies are four games back of the division and two and a half games up on the first wild card spot. So, you know, yep. complete turnarounds by both teams um, since that game, you know. Um, and I disagree about predicting when they, you know, when they'll win. I think, you know, I think it is a lesson in futility a little bit because they go win tonight, you know, whatever. But um, the Angels and then the Rays, I think they go, they'll get swept by the Rays probably. The Rays are one of the best teams in baseball. Blue okay. Jays. 
and then the Yankees. And I think I think they'll beat the Blue Jays. I think they'll beat the Blue Jays in one game. The longest losing streak in baseball history. Um in the modern era is I mean, because you know, modern era and the non-modern era are two different things. If you want to ask me the non-modern era, the Louisville Colonels in 1889 won 20, uh, excuse me, lost 26 games in a row. From May 22nd, 1889 to June 23rd, 1889. It's not a a club you want to be a part of. But in the modern era, because the top three Longest losing streaks in baseball history are in 1889, 1889, and 1890. So, you know, it's a long time ago. But in a tie for third most, uh, or excuse me, longest losing streak in baseball history, the 1961 Phillies lost 23 games in a row from July 29th, 1961 until August 20th, 1961. <laughs> Again, quite the streak, and the Orioles are not far behind. So the Orioles are sitting at 18 right now. I mean, let's say they get swept by the um, – let's see they get swept by the um, Angels here. That's a three-game set. That brings them up to 21. And they – you know, that would actually, if you want to feel bad for Orioles – for long-suffering Orioles fans – oh. They are not at this, you know, ineptitude by the Orioles here is not um, by any means the longest losing streak in Orioles history. The longest losing streak in Orioles history belongs to the 1988 Baltimore Orioles who lost 21 games in a row and finished 54 and 107 on the year. Yeah. Um, so, do you think that they can match that all that franchise record? Yeah, I mean, they this is not a good team. Uh, <laughs> I don't see how they're gonna win a game. They're playing some bad teams, but those bad teams are a lot better than they are. So, I don't see a reason why they can't turn uh, or make that match that record. That uh, that losing streak, also, by the way. Um, the Oriole in 1988 was worse, I would argue, worse than this. And here's why. I'll tell you why. Because that year in on the losing streak, they um, went, they started the season 0-21. So, I mean, That'll that... That'll knock you right out of playoff Max. What? That'll knock you right off of playoff, right out of playoff contention. Immediately. As soon as the season starts, you're out of playoff contention. I mean, before you can even get your feet under you. Um, you know, and... They lost twelve nothing to the Brewers on on opening day. It's the largest margin of victory in a shutout win on opening day. Um, but I don't think they'll reach twenty six. I think they'll manage to get a win somehow. 
before they get to 26. 26 is a big number. 18 is just not, not far behind. 18 is also a huge number. Don't get me wrong. But 26 is a big number. That's some sports com math right there. We'll see if the Orioles can win a <laughs> game in the next eight. <laughs> um, and that 1989-88 Orioles team, I'm sorry to keep processing, is not, you know, the worst team ever. They had Cal Ripken Jr. They had Eddie Murray. They had Fred Lynn. They had Billy Ripken. You know, they had um, – but those were not those guys at their peak power. I mean, those guys at their peak power are not losing that many games in a row, Max. Yeah. Just because they had the name doesn't mean they were at their at their best. Larry Bird, the last year of his career, needed a back brace to get out of bed practically. You know, just because they had Larry Bird didn't mean they were winning the game. That was not. It's not a viable comparison. They were managed by Cal Ripken Sr. and Frank Robinson that year. He had a lot of firepower and a lot of losses. Yes. Um, very quickly, before we get to the next thing, how do you think the Mets would got to get back on track? And do you think – I didn't put this in the rundown, but I'm thinking about this right now. I don't think it's very professional for Steve Cohen to be tweeting as much critical of the team as he is because he has power. If you and I tweet – you know, about the Yankees when they were struggling this year or whatever, they, you know, that's whatever because we're fans and we don't have any power to actually change something within the team. He has power to fire the manager. He has power to hire a manager. You know, he's literally the owner. Uh, well, to answer your fir- the, the second part of your question first, it's unprofessional. It's also not helping anybody. So let's start with that. He's not hes not making any friends or making anybody feel good about themselves uh, in the process of tweeting that. What I will say to your first question, how can they get back on track? I'll start with, I don't think they are going to get back on track. They were not a good team to start the year. They're not a good team now. They don't have the ample hitting. Their best player has been fraudulent all year for Tisco Indoor. Their best pitcher can't get healthy, Jacob DeGrom. They're two games under 500 right now. They're four and a half back of Philly, seven back of Atlanta. There's no path for them to the playoffs. I don't see it. There's no, you know, what is the path? Well, DeGrom gets healthy, and the guys who are getting paid a lot of money start hitting. That's the path. Um, actually, the whole team can start hitting, too, while they're at it because they, they couldn't get any uh, DeGrom any run support when those guys were hitting. So there is no path for them, and I don't think they're going to turn it around anytime soon. Yeah. And now moving on to a soccer story. We very rarely talk about soccer here on the channel because honestly, I'm the only one that knows um, anything about soccer among the... Well, Max, as we found out a few weeks ago, I I can pretend to know a lot about soccer. (laughs) You're right. Um, For those, just to fill in the audience to that joke, um, when... Josh was staying with me a few weeks ago. We went to a bar um, for the Chelsea Football Club's opening game. I'm a huge Chelsea fan. Um, For those that don't know, we're the champions of Europe, by the way. Uh, I just feel like I have to throw that out there. Um, And we were... Stay with your chest. We were in a discussion with a very nice man... Um, throughout the game and 
Joshua was, uh, shall we say, thinking on the fly, um, I think is a polite way to say it very impressively thinking on the fly throughout the conversation. Um, the best part of it was when the guy asked me, he said, what do you think? Of, I forget his name. This new guy, how is he going to fit into our system? I don't know the first thing about soccer. I don't particularly enjoy watching soccer. And I looked up at the TV because he was talking about the guy on the screen. He pointed at the TV. And the guy looked like he was about five foot eight. And I looked and I looked at this guy square in the face. I go, oh, he's short, a little scrappy kind of guy. You know, fits right into how they want to play physical tough, get down the box. <laughs> and I said it so straight faced. I was like, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Now, he could have been lying to me. I knew I was lying to him. So <laughs> we can uh, we can finagle our way through a soccer conversation. I'm, I'm actually prepared this time, believe it or not. So we can uh, we can really make some news. Okay. Um, and so what we're going to talk about through about the Premier League in England here um, is the, an announcement from the league today that they will not be releasing, that their teams will not be releasing players for international duty for World Cup qualifiers, which are coming up. You know, the U.S. MNT's, U.S. Men's National Team's first World Cup qualifying game sorry i'm gonna restart that um which are you know coming up the u.s's first world cup qualifying game is you know coming up pretty shortly in september um on september 2nd they're facing honduras to open up the world cup qualifying trying to get to Qatar um, for the 2022 World Cup. Um, and so the announcement is that the teams will not allow their players to um, play for their international for their countries if their country is on a uh, is on the UK's coronavirus red list, um, which if you travel in, if you are a uh, traveler, going to the United Kingdom and you are from one of the countries on their red list, you have to quarantine for 10 days once you, um, once you get to the United Kingdom. And so right now, the big countries um, that that impacts are Brazil, Chile, Argentina, and Peru. So, you know, all the players that are Brazilian, Chilean, Argentinian, or Peruvian um, will not be able to go, you know, to their World Cup qualifiers because they're going to miss games while they're, you know, while they're at World Cup qualifying, and then you, they would have to miss another two or three games, you know, when they are on their way back. So what do you think of this Uh Josh. Well, I mean, from a practical perspective, it, you know, regardless of what your thoughts on the opinion are, on the decision are, it makes perfect practical sense for the Premier League to not release these players. They're the player for the Premier League. The best in their in their it is in their best interest to keep their players able to play in the Premier League, and the Premier League is all in England, so they've got their stuff together. The it's no secret that England has been very uptight in its COVID restrictions since the virus, excuse me, since the pandemic started last March. And you, I know you, I don't really follow soccer a whole lot, but I follow cycling, which is an 
just as international a sport. And, you know, there have been a lot of situations where countries that are stronger in COVID restrictions have uh, impacted athletes. A perfect example is a, a rider right now riding the Tour of Spain, an Australian named Jay Vine, uh, is doing his first World Tour race um, at the Tour of Spain right now, which is quite the introduction. But the reason he's doing his first race at the Vuelta a España is because he only was able to get to Europe from Australia in March. By that point, all the teams for races had been picked. Uh, it took him, you know, five months to leave the country of Australia because you have the you know, Australia is re requiring its citizens to grant or give reason for leaving the country. So from a practical perspective, it makes perfect sense for uh, the Premier League to restrict its players from leaving. It enhances the quality of the Premier League by keeping their players ready to go. Uh, I would do the same thing. And I think that's what it comes down to. If the players want to prioritize the national teams, you know, they will prioritize their national teams. And the Premier League knows that there's nothing they could do to sever a relationship with a, like, Christian Pulisic can't get so upset if, if the U.S. was one of these countries with with his team. Not. I just looked at the list while you were talking. Some yeah. of the other, you know, very notable countries that could, you know, be um, impacted are Colombia, Costa Rica, Egypt, which, of course, uh, Liverpool has already said that their Egyptian star, Mo Salah, is not going to be able to travel um, to Egyptian World Cup qualifiers. Well, the reason I said Pulisic was because that was the only soccer player I could think of after talking for about three minutes. So Mexico, um, you know, Panama. Um, right. So Mexico, you know, there's a handful of Mexicans in the English Premier League, I believe. So they're not going to be able to help El Tree. Um, Let me just finish the point I was making before. Max, is that like these Mo Salah or all those guys, like they're still going to come back to the Premier League, even if they get upset with how the situation was handled, that they can't go represent their country. They're not going to go to the MLS because they're upset with how the Premier League handled COVID restrictions, right? So if you're the Premier League, you can take a few more chances with this. And I think it makes perfect practical sense. And like I said before, I would, if I was in charge, I would approve it. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think it makes sense. And also in this article that I'm reading about this, that we, you know, are speaking about, it says that La Liga, which is the Spanish um, league, top flight league, so that they, their teams are also not going to um, let their players uh, go to World Cup qualifying um i don't know exactly at the moment um what the restrictions are in spain uh do you i don't know what the restrictions are in terms of leaving and entering i know that the volta España is going on right now and masks are obviously a thing there outside even uh but that that race is happening and they're doing podium presentations uh, with tons of people all masked, but it seems like it's relatively loose over there. Still uptight, but you know, things are happening. Um, 
So, you know, I don't know what the cases are like there, but I know that the U.S. Uh, Department of State, you know, the Bureau of Consular Affairs has put up as of July 26th, 2021, um, that people uh, should not, that they are encouraging travelers to not travel to Spain due to COVID-19 um, and to exercise increased caution in Spain due to terrorism and civil unrest. Um, so, you know, I, so I guess the cases are bad there. Um, and, you know, so that makes sense that they wouldn't want their players you know, to travel all around the world to, you know, these World Cup qualifying games when, you know, that when they could come back with COVID and have to quarantine when they get back. Yep. So that'll just about do it for us here. This is Max O'Neill alongside Josh Schwann. Thanks for coming on the show, Josh. Of course, Max. Thank you for having me as always. You're welcome. And, uh, Maybe we'll do it again soon. Um, and so thank you for listening, everybody. We are inching with every episode closer to 1,000 listens right now before posting this episode, which hopefully, you know, um, you, the listener, enjoys. We are currently sitting on... Um, 957 listens so that's huge you know our last episode in july about the olympics got 16 plays at the moment so you know all huge numbers that i am personally very proud of and so let's try to get up to i'll set a goal on this podcast swami to get up to uh 970 uh listens i don't think that that is you know too many maybe 975 let's say all Um, right and so thank you for listening everybody this has been max o'neill alongside josh schwann